welcome to Old Testament in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Didek, and this week we're continuing our conversation about God's providence by looking at the myriad ways, means, and circumstances during which and through which he is faithful. And what, if any, is our part in that? Let's get back into it. So for this week's update, we will continue to do weekly updates uh, for as long as the Old Testament in Faith series is kind of going on. As I mentioned, we're going to start pre-recording the next season, which is actually season three. I misspoke in <laughs> in our update and kind of ran out of time to fix it before we had to release the episode. But this is indeed season two, and the next season coming up will be season three. That one, as I said, we may end up starting to pre-record things, and so I might have time to do some updates on either the podcast or kind of what's going on personally with us and our creative projects. But it may end up being that we'll just be launching straight into the episode if the schedule is working out that we're running out of time to do things like that. But I did want to take a quick moment and kind of go over again something I mentioned in the update episode. If you haven't listened to it, um, it's only about 15 minutes long. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and listen to it. We did do a little bit of a devotional in that episode, so it's kind of cool. But I kind of, in that episode, talked about receiving advice from people that I was starting to consider kind of more worldly wisdom. They would never say like, don't trust God, but it was always kind of the assumption that providing for the family was my job. And so ensuring that I had some sort of steady and adequate paycheck was more prudent than trying to pursue a creative career. And I wanted to specify that like in general, that's fair. I, I don't fault them for kind of advising me in that way because it is too easy to think we're hearing from God and we jump off the cliff and he never intended us to jump off that one. So that is definitely one of the topics we're going to get into in greater detail in topics in faith. I already have that kind of saved as something I want to talk about, about this idea of God taking care of us even when we're not where we're supposed to be. But it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to either have you flourish or that you'll be doing the work that he really truly has set out for you to do. So as I said, specifically in my wife's and my case, like this was not just a kind of a one-time thing or just a, gee, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, hopefully we can do this and God will show up. Um, we really feel like this is, this is the direction we're called to go for right now. I've told my wife, you know, it might not be the final move because this has happened before with the creative pursuits that the season opened up for us to pursue it for that time and we did but then that season ended and I moved back into you know kind of the more nine to five or the six to two thirty or whatever <laughs> whatever the schedule ended up being but I, I know this is the move right now whether this is the move that sticks or not we have yet to see but I just want to encourage you again I'm not saying free for all like whatever you feel like doing Go out and do it, and God's going to bless you in it, which we're going to kind of talk about his blessings through this episode, so that'll tie in really nicely. It's something you do need to make sure God is truly calling you to do it, and as I said, we spent a long time in prayer and in kind of not fighting the move per se, but really being afraid of making the move, kind of pursuing something that God had not actually called us to pursue, and so it was a long time of him kind of reiterating through his word, like, no, this is... This is what we're supposed to do. And so it's kind of really appropriate to start discussing God's providence here and God's blessings, especially materially. So I want to set that up too before we kind of get into this. In these next five chapters of Genesis, 
there's a lot of material blessing that we're going to be covering. And so we're going to kind of talk at the end some ideas that we want to take away from this reading especially, and then we'll also be looking at a couple verses throughout the rest of Scripture, kind of supporting this notion. So let's get right into it. Since this was supposed to be Old Testament in faith, and it turned out to just be Genesis in faith, we're, we're kind of moving through these very, very quickly. And I, I want to emphasize that there are almost endless sermons that could be preached and lessons that could be taught from each of these individual chapters. But I want to kind of look at this a little more broadly and see what we can pull out of it. Genesis 26, it is now Isaac is kind of the main character of our story or of God's story here. And it's fascinating to me because in this chapter, one of the first things that happens is that Isaac and Rebecca are traveling and he says to his wife, Rebecca, wherever we go, tell people that you're my sister. Now, if you recall from earlier in Genesis, Abraham did the same thing with Sarah. He said, tell these people that you're my sister so that they won't kill me on account of you because you're so beautiful, they'll want to take you from me. Abimelech took Abraham's wife. He took Sarah, but before he was able to do anything, God stepped in and stopped him. And Abimelech was like, why did you do this to me? You could have like brought destruction on all our heads. And here he comes now, the literal direct descendant of Abraham comes along and says the same thing. One quick note here, this is not the same Abimelech that Abraham dealt with. Abimelech was sort of like a, a title, like Caesar or something like that. And so these two Abimelechs are actually about 100 years apart. So just keep that in mind as we go on. Fortunately, nothing happened this time. Before anything could happen, Abimelech sees Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. In this sense, we're supposed to understand this is them being very intimate and more intimate than a brother and sister would be. And so he knows, Abimelech knows, fortunately, before anything else can happen, that this isn't what's actually going on here. And he calls Isaac to account for it and says, what are you doing? You might have destroyed all of us. Why did you say this? Isaac gives kind of the same excuse that Abraham did. So it's interesting to note here, God's repeated faithfulness in protecting Abimelech. In the first instance of this happening, it went a little further than in the second instance, but still, God sort of arranges things for him to not enter into this sin with God's chosen people here. Then we get a little deeper in and find something even more interesting. In verses 18 through 22, we have the, the account of Isaac digging a series of wells. They dig a well, Abimelech's people come and say, oh, this should be ours, and they take it, and Isaac just abandons it to them, leaves them to it, says, okay, fine, you have that well. So Isaac moves away and camps in the valley of Gerar where he had settled. He reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham. This is verse 18, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. So they dig up the well, discover fresh water, but the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. And then he digs another well. They take that one. He moves on and digs another well. And this one finally no one quarreled over, saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. And it's interesting to me to look at this and see how Isaac is doing the work and finding the providence and then someone comes and takes it from him. But he never argues with them about it. He never attacks them because of it. And I wonder if you know he knows God is going to be providing for him. And so he doesn't wrap his survival in this particular well or this series of wells that he digs. He knows that providence comes from God. And so I think, you know, this is a good reminder for us way back here in the Old Testament that if God is the one who's prospering us, why do we worry about hostility around us? Whether someone takes legally or illegally, you know, we obviously struggle with the idea of someone outright stealing from us and we might stand on our rights or whatever it is. 
We worry about someone robbing us blind. But here, Isaac did the work. His men did the work to dig these wells and find fresh water, and they are taken from them. But he moves on. It recalls to mind verse in Psalm 56. He says, In God I trust. What can man do to me? It's a good thing to remember as we read this chapter. And here we start into the incredible story of Jacob. And it's kind of where we're going to be spending, focusing on his life for pretty much the rest of our, our time together. So Jacob, as you recall, has secured the birthright from Esau, buying it from Esau for a bowl of stew when Esau came in famished from hunting wild game. And here in this chapter, he fulfills that prophecy. So with the help of Rebekah, who loved Jacob more than Esau, he deals deceptively with his aging father, Isaac, to ensure that he receives the blessing of the firstborn. He pretends to be his older brother, Esau, disguising his scent and his smooth skin and sneaking in and taking that birthright. It's interesting here as well that the name Jacob means grasps the heel, which is an idiom for deception. And it struck me that if you recall the original curse back in Genesis 3, God's promise that the serpent would strike the heel of the offspring of the woman, but that offspring would crush his head. And so here we have grasping the heel as an idiom for deception, and Satan will strike the heel, the ultimate deceiver. So just as Isaac finishes blessing Jacob, Jacob leaves, and here comes Esau in from the field with the food, prepares the food, comes in, and his father Isaac asks him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Verse 33 Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. And here's an important part that we actually will see referenced in the New Testament later. Verse 34, When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. Isaac answers in verse 37, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him essentially with a curse. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. And when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. And then Esau promises to kill Jacob. Rebekah hears about it and encourages Jacob to leave as any good mother should. So in chapter 28, Jacob departs, leaving a bitter Esau who reacts to Jacob's favor and blessing spitefully. So again, Isaac and his men had dug these wells, reopened the wells of his father Abraham, but the, the people who lived there said, no, these are ours. And Isaac walks away, go finds another well. Esau has what was his taken from him, and he reacts with murderous intent, wanting to kill his brother for what he has taken from him. So Jacob leaves, is on his way through the desert, and is, has the somewhat famous interaction with God with Jacob's ladder, the stairway to heaven, and angels ascending and descending upon it. And God comes again and promises blessing to Jacob after he had already done so. And we move quickly through chapter 29. And here, Jacob has returned to the land of his father, marries Leah and Rachel, and is also dealt with deceptively. He gets a little bit of a taste of his own medicine. Now, here's something interesting that I've heard kind of different ways from different people. The idea that Jacob worked for seven years. At the end of that seven years, he is supposed to be given Rachel as his wife, but they have a tradition there that they can't give away the younger before they give away the older, so they slip Leah in unawares. Jacob sleeps with her. 
wakes up in the morning, realizes that it is not Rachel whom he loves, but Leah. And so then he works seven more years, and at the end of that, then receives Rachel, which is not, at least in the translations I've read, exactly how that works. What it is, is that it's Rachel is given to him after the bridal week, not seven whole years later. We read in verses 27 through 30, Finish this daughter's bridal week, speaking of Leah, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife, period. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. So it's a minor thing. Maybe in the you know the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. I just want to make a note of the fact that he did not work for 14 whole years for Rachel. He worked seven years and a week. Particularly, we want to focus on verse 31, where we are told that Leah was provided the ability to conceive because Jacob's love for her was less. It says in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless because... In this culture, the ability to provide, especially a son, an heir, was valued very, very highly. And so here, God provides for Leah, provides for the fact that she is loved not as much as her sister. And then finally, we have in chapter 30, the story of Jacob craftily building his flocks from Laban's flocks with strong specimens and leaving the weak for Laban, where it's kind of an odd story of the striped and the speckled and the spotted sheep and goats that Jacob is supposedly somehow able to sort of control which ones are born when. That when the strong ones come in, the strong rams and ewes come in to drink, that they have these speckled and striped and spotted rods in front of them, and so that when they mate, then they give birth to speckled, striped, and spotted offspring. I don't know enough about sheep. It doesn't sound very scientifically accurate, but obviously God can do many things. Not sure we have the entire story there, but... It's again an example of Jacob sort of using his own craftiness and deception to gain more for himself, to sort of bless himself at the same time that God had promised that this would happen. And so we're going to go now into like looking at the material blessings of God through, through sort of the lens of this story. And we want to ask ourselves, I think, to make sure we are on the right page here. Does God bless deception? Because here we have Jacob acting in this way, and he gets everything and more that, that he could possibly want here on earth. And we should have trouble with that. So we're going to go through a couple verses to prove that no, that God is not saying, well, Jacob's really, really crafty. He's really deceptive. And I, I admire that. So I'm going to go ahead and let him continue to prosper. In 1 Peter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So God punishes deception. And even if we go back into the Old Testament, Psalms 5, verse 6, You destroy those who tell lies. Speaking of God, The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. Psalm 101, verse 7 says, No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. So no, it is very, very clear that we are to deal honestly with one another to the point where we may suffer loss through our honesty, but trusting that God will sustain us as we continue to obey him and do his will. Rather, what we do see 
is that God blesses the downtrodden. We saw that in this story with Leah when she cried out to God because she was the lesser favored. God showed her special favor. We return back to the Psalms in chapter 34, verses 6, 12 through 13 and 18. Verse 6 says, This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 12, Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days... Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. For, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So what are we to believe then when we talk about God's blessings on us? Perhaps the most difficult and yet the best perspective comes from Romans chapter 9. And it actually refers back to the stories we were just reading. In verses 11 through 13, it says, Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything, good or bad, we're speaking here of Jacob and Esau, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That came from Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Picking up back in Romans chapter 9 verses 14 through 16, it says, What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So let us consider a few thoughts. When we see others, especially blessed materially, we don't know the whole story, first of all, and it very likely has little to do with what they have or haven't done, but rather it depends on the plans God has for them. This idea will also kind of refute the notion of positioning yourself for blessing. Sometimes you'll hear that in preaching is like, well, the reason you don't have anything is because you haven't positioned yourself to receive it. Jacob in this story was blessed before he was even born and was still blessed even though he cheated and stole. The parable of the talents that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Matthew gives no indication why one of the servants was given five talents and the other two and the other one, just that they were given them and told to be faithful. So if you feel like you have been given less or blessed less by God, just don't bury it, whatever you do. No matter how little it seems to you, don't bury it or you know, don't not put it to work because you feel like it won't have as great an impact as someone else's blessing or because you want to wait until he gives you more. You know, we should not look at this and say, well, if I had more, I'd be able to give more. Give what you have. But that's not the only blessings that we can receive from God. We can also talk about spiritual blessings. These blessings come with response to Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The important thing there is to note that it says, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. This is not something that we will receive more or less of. It's not something that we need to wait to receive. As soon as we accept Jesus Christ, we have been blessed with them. So what are these blessings? Now, I came across a blog post by Andrew Mason at smallgroupchurches.com. I haven't read much more into that website, or I don't know who Andrew Mason is. So we're just taking this particular post for what it's worth. And he provides us with a count of 15 distinct blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And it all comes from that Ephesians chapter, but starting in verse 4 and moving onward. The first blessing he notes that we have is that we have been chosen before the foundation of the world. 
it is very easy to start arguing on this point about predestination and those sorts of things. And what I want us to focus on here is that this is written to Christians. So if you are a follower of Christ, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been chosen before the foundation of the world. You can know that for certain because you have responded to Christ, because God has extended his mercy towards you. You are one of the ones that are chosen. We don't know anyone else, whether they have been chosen or haven't been chosen. You can only say for yourself, I have been chosen before the beginning of the world because I have indeed responded to Christ. So let's not start using that as a prescription to say, well, maybe this person just wasn't predestined because you don't know that and you will never know that until we get to heaven. The second blessing is to be holy and blameless. This is also from verse four. Again, we could spend an entire sermon on just these things. We're going to go through them somewhat quickly. But the spiritual blessing of being holy and blameless, something that we cannot achieve for ourselves. The law was given to show that it could not be done by human effort. God had to do it by extending his mercy. We are in his love. We are predestined to adoption. We just talked about this a couple points ago. But this, again, takes a a step further of the adoption into the family of God, that we are now co-heirs with Christ. Number five, we are accepted in the beloved Number six, we have redemption through his blood, which is an incredible spiritual blessing. Number seven, we have forgiveness of sins, a thing that we could not do on our own. We could never earn back for all the wrong we have done. Instead, he gives it to us freely. Number eight, the riches of his grace abound toward us. We talked about this in a previous episode about grace being the ability to move with effortless precision and the full riches of God's ability to move toward us is also given to us to then move toward God and toward others. Number nine, the blessing of making known to us the mystery of his will. Again, a whole sermon on what that will is. There's many aspects to it. He wills that all men be saved, all men and women. That was a mystery at that time. Before then, God's salvation was only for the Jews. Through Jesus Christ, we now know that no, his will is for all mankind to be saved. Number 10, we have obtained an eternal inheritance. This is not something that you must spend in your lifetime or that you must then pass on to others for their lifetime. It is eternal and it is yours and it is secured. 11, we have heard the word of truth. The Holy Spirit comes on the day you receive Christ, makes known to you all truth. Speaking of which, number 12, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Whether we retain our salvation or not is not up to us. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit and he keeps us safe until the end. We know the hope of his calling. Number 14, we are the riches of his inheritance. So while we inherit eternal life from God, we are inheritors of the gifts that are available also to Jesus Christ. We are the riches of his inheritance. And last but not least, the exceeding greatness of his power. As it says, the power that was in God to raise Christ from the dead is now alive in us. And that is incredible power indeed. That is going to be all the time we have for today. Again, it feels kind of rushed. There is so, so much to get in here and do to learn. We go verse by verse. Again, I still want this at at some point down the road to turn into kind of a gloss of the entire Old Testament in faith, how each book and chapter can relate to our lives today, even in Christ. So feel free to dive in. Even further, blueletterbible.org is a great resource. They have links to all sorts of commentaries on each of these things. So for now, though, we're going to leave this behind. 
and move into Genesis chapter 31. Jacob finally returns to Esau. So we'll be picking up next week in Genesis 31. I encourage you to read ahead because we're probably going to do the same thing where we kind of gloss through these stories very quickly. I do want to make a note here as well. If you want to support this podcast, there is a link in the show notes. You can go to Ko-Fi, which is ko-fi.com slash Daniel Dynek. There'll be a link there for you to donate. Anything coming from there will go directly into the podcast, whether it's updating equipment or paying for the, the server space at Buzzsprout to keep these episodes live forever. So you can access any of the episodes all the time. It may go into maintaining the website where we also host this podcast and may be put away for sort of future ideas of episodes and things like that. Um, to support just me in general, you can buy my books. The links are also on the website at danieldideck.com. If you want to know of ways to support me without using money, you can recommend me to your friends if you're finding anything helpful through this podcast. Tweet about it, Facebook about it, Instagram about it, TikTok about it, I guess. Wherever you share things that you enjoy and want people to have a chance of enjoying as well, let them know about this podcast. I'd appreciate it very, very much. So for now, have a good week. Until then, keep the faith and keep it old school.